We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I'm launching a new website, transformativeprinciple.com. You can go there to learn about and join the mastermind. And also, you can go there to learn how to get positive press for your school. What's better than you telling your story all the time? Getting other credible third parties to tell your story for you. Go to transformativeprinciple.com. Once again, that's transformativeprinciple.com. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have on the podcast today, Laura Bouchard. She is a an experienced business learning and change management professional with a unique background that combines finances and people. She works for ProVision Business Advisors, which works with leaders to help them launch, ramp up, and transition throughout the business life cycle. Now, lest you think that we're just going to talk about business today, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about a pretty exciting topic called learning transference, which we should all be very interested in. Laura, welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks, Jethro. It's my pleasure. I'm I'm excited to to speak to your audience today. Yeah, and so you are not just an award-winning MBA. You are also someone who's been in the educational setting previous to being in the business setting, right? Yeah, actually, I've been in business and education almost uh, simultaneously for about 30 years. So it's it's difficult for me to take one hat off and put the other, because even when we think about education, we're in the business of learning. We're in the business of education. Uh, so for me, if we start thinking about 
educational sectors, not-for-profit organizations, charities at large, and public organizations, if we think about them as a business, we actually can, uh, sometimes we can find some other strategies and things that, that we, can, we can use from the world of business that's very applicable. So I did spend uh, 25 years of my career in higher education. I am a, a teacher. I have a Bachelor of Education degree and, and a Master's of Education and have worked in a learning function both in a classroom. I've been a classroom instructor. I've been a leader in leadership roles in higher ed. And I've also worked in corporate learning. So um, for me, it's really very simultaneous. It's the same thing. Uh, learning is a business. Yeah, absolutely. And learning is, I think, one of the most fun things that we can do in our life. Um, I just love it, which is why I love doing this podcast and talking to people like you who um, I meet through various channels. And it's so exciting to hear someone who is who doesn't have the same background as me say, here are the things that are important. So we're going to talk about learning transference. So I think most people probably understand that, but can you define learning transference as you see it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we think about the, the goal or the reason why we embark in any kind of learning event, as I will call it, whether that's a conference, it may be a webinar, it might be reading a book, it might be taking a course. So learning takes a lot of different forms. Listening to a TED Talk is a learning event. But when we think about uh, why we participate in those learning events, there's, uh, they're, um, sometimes they're entertainment, but most of the time we're participating in those learning events with the goal of doing something with the learning. So if we're participating in an event where we're acquiring uh, new knowledge, we, you know, we want to apply that knowledge in our personal lives or our careers. If we're looking at taking events that are building our skills, then we want to get better at honing those skills and be able to practice our craft or our discipline or profession in a way that we become more competent in the skills that we're using. And, and sometimes learning is designed in the affective domain. So we're, we're, it's inviting us to take on different perspectives, different viewpoints, different beliefs. And again, we're looking for application of that back in someone's life. Because if we, if we just participate in a learning event and we don't do anything with it, then it, it's almost, it's, a, it's an investment that we got no return on. Uh, and I think sometimes we struggle with it in the school system because our, you know, we're teaching a curriculum that we sometimes don't even know ourselves about what the application is for it. So if we're teaching the kids about magnets in science class, it's like, how are they supposed to apply this? And so the more that we incorporate even in our K-12 curriculum, um, application and real-life examples and case studies and role plays, we facilitate and we encourage children to see, here's the application of that learning. This is why I need to learn, learn this. This is what it's useful for in real life. Does that make sense, Jethro? Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we've talked about a ton on this podcast. I was just in Wisconsin um, earlier uh, this year in August talking about student-driven learning, which is what I call that, where there's a real-world application to what you're doing. And um, and one of the things I talked about was having the audience for our students and paying attention to it, because most of the time the audience for our students' work is the teacher. And if the audience is the teacher, then no offense, teachers, but that's not a real audience, because it's staying within the classroom. It's not going out. And so you need to think about what the audience is, the other that students can have. And it, even if it is just my parents or my peers, that's still better than only creating something 
for the teacher. If the teacher is going to see it and nobody else is, then that's one level. But if other people see it, you take it as a different, you take it in a different way and approach it differently. And I think that that's really important. So I love the idea of having a a return on our investment of time into that learning so that we're better when we come out of it. But that doesn't always happen. A lot of times we don't don't get that return. Why do you think it is that we don't get that return? Oh, there's a lot of reasons why we don't get the return. <laughs> so, um, and especially if we're talking about compliance-based training versus discretionary training, right? So, um, so let's just pick safety training. Uh, most most states, most uh, most jurisdictions around the world will have some sort of safety requirements that need to be met that often mean we've got to do training in the workplace. So whether in the school it's about fire drills or it's about WIMIS, about ha- handling hazardous materials, or now in the COVID world, it's about COVID protocols. Like we, we're, we always have a lot of regulations that we need to be compliant with. So if we have compliance-based training, it's sort of, um, it's getting the transfer of that training. It's got to be a, a little bit more dictatorish approach than uh, than something that comes intrinsically. So we have to have, you know, we have to have the checks and balances and we need to verify and look for compliance and support compliance for for that kind of training. Uh, So we do have some of that compliance-based training. And in in the area of professions, we often have uh, continuing education requirements. So our professions require us to take a certain number of hours of training to continue to hone our craft, be current in our practice, to to be able to develop more competencies and in some ways so that we don't regress, we don't deteriorate in our level of competency. Uh, So as an accountant, for an example, I have to take continuing professional education credits every year to maintain my designation. Um, the, The body actually just recently required that some of that has to be in the area of ethics. So prior to, you know, recent developments, you know, I had a lot more flexibility about what I chose to take in the area of professional development. So if, if individuals are taking the training or the, uh, the course, the conference, the reading the books, doing whatever the learning event is, because they have to do it, it's a lot more difficult to, to get the transfer because it's, again, part of that compliance base. So when you've got some flexibility within those requirements and you can choose to take the kind of training and learning events that you're interested in, maybe that area of teaching practice or administration that you're passionate about, you want to learn more about how you can support the successful learning outcomes for the students in your classroom, then you're going to have, you're going to have some intrinsic motivation to apply this. You're going to you're going to see, you know, hey, I've been reflecting on my own practice as an administrator, as a teacher, as a, as a librarian, as a secretary, whatever it is. And I see that I've got some room for growth here. So I'm going to take the initiative to register or participate in some sort of learning event. So I'm either going to build my knowledge, I'm going to build my skills, or I'm going to look at different attitudes or perspectives I could have around this. So there is some, if there's intrinsic motivation, there's still, there's going to be a higher probability of some transfer. But we all know, even in ourselves, all the good intentions that we've had. We know, and we can, teachers are are really good at collecting stuff. And so we can take a look at our digital folders or our bookshelves, and we can see all of the good intentions sitting there. Uh, And so we often need something outside 
that'll help us act on those good intentions. Because I think, you know, most teachers and staff that participate in professional development want to do something different. But our human nature and the power of inertia and all the other stuff that becomes a priority when we return from the learning event often will sabotage those good intentions. Do you think that's true for you, Jethro? Oh, absolutely. I have very good intentions for a lot of things and don't follow through on so much of it because life just happens. And so that's an excuse, sure, but it's also something that we have to realize exists and then do something to help put a stopgap in there. So I want to go back just a second because you talked about different kinds of learning that happens and I've been in several districts. So I've seen how districts do this and there are some districts. That's, so I'll speak for myself as a principal. In one district, I had a mandatory class that I needed to attend about learning how to be a, tr- a principal and that was that was all well and good. But the things they talked about were not necessarily things that I was personally struggling with or that I needed help with. My next district had a philosophy that if you see a conference or an event that you think is valuable to you, you can go to it and we'll pay for it. And like no questions asked. It doesn't matter what it is. The district thinks what you see as important is valuable enough that we'll make it happen. In another district, the result was as a principal, you can spend up to $1,000 for any kind of learning that you want and will support you in that and you can you can do that. So if it costs more than $1,000, then you've got to take care of it some other way. And so basically you, you go to the professional development experience, you get your receipts, and then you turn those in and they'll pay up to $1,000 worth of it. Now, each one of those gave me a different perspective on what I was going to do with that information. And then I also offer my own professional development principles called my mastermind, which people can join and learn about and and understand you know how all that works. And those four different ways of learning are all valuable in their own way, but there are also there are limits to what you can do with that. And so when I had to sit through the class, it was a chore. It was something that I didn't really love doing. When people choose to come to my mastermind, they choose to invest in themselves with their time and their money to make it a good experience. And both of those investments, I believe they get big dividends on and it matters to them. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. And so you talked about the intentions. There are, there are things we need to do to 
to deal with having good intentions than not having them come to pass? What are some things we can put in place to make sure that the learning actually gets back to the rest of the organization? Well, you know, Jethro, it's surprisingly simple in many respects, and it's not rocket science. It's called having a conversation. Uh, and so if, you know, principals or superintendents or, you know, whoever the heads are learning, the sponsors of this learning, uh, just need to have some conversations and be very clear about the expectations. So if, um, and, and again, you think about it, this as a business case, for me, everything's a business case. So if I want to, if I, if I want to go and pitch to my principal or my superintendent that I want to be X investment so that I can do this learning, whether that investment is financial or time, if those are still resources that need to be invested, I'm going to need to build the business case about what the impact of that's going to be for the school or for my career or for the district. So looking at, at who are the stakeholders that are going to benefit from this, this investment. Uh, and having that conversation to making sure that people are clear about the expectation and even having the conversation even even sort of sets the tone that, oh, there is an expectation that I apply this after I come back from the learning event. And this is not just for the good of my myself and to build my resume. I'm actually expected to do something with this. And the clearer we are about the expectation and the clearer that we are in both how that learning event ties into the outcomes, the strategic outcomes for the school, because schools all have strategic plans. And whether those plans are student retention or growth or being more fiscally responsible or being staying within their budget or grads having higher, you know, higher scores on achievement tests, whatever they are, schools have goals that they're trying to reach. And the more that we can tie the learning activities to the achievement of those strategic priorities for the school, the more that that conversation can be around how does this learning event align to those strategic priorities for the school? How, if you taking course X is going to contribute to these particular learning outcomes or, or strategic outcomes for the organization? So, so making sure we're clear on expectations Having the conversation up front about what obstacles do you think you might encounter when you come back from the learning, when you come to applying this. And those obstacles can be intrinsically, it could just be life's going to happen. How am I going to carve out the time to do this? There could be peer-related obstacles. Well, I come back and I want to try something new. My peer group is going to put pressure on me to conform back to the norm, back to the status quo. So there could be pressure from parents. There could be obstacles from parents. There could be obstacles from students to resist change because we know that it's human nature to resist change. We like our comfort zone. We like to be not get out of our ruts too, too much. And so that those conversations up front to very clearly articulate what's the expected outcome and the application of this investment in a learning event, anticipating the obstacles, Having a conversation up front about how might we mitigate those obstacles? What could we do now to try and either, you know, when we got obstacles, we can either make them smaller, we can go around them, we can find out different strategies of, about how we address those obstacles. But we know there's going to be obstacles to uh, applying the learning. We just don't know exactly what those obstacles are going to be, but we can identify them with the, with the individual by having a conversation. So once we're clear about the expectations, then we also want to I, I talk about the time frame, because you know that you know you come back from a course, you're not going to apply it day one, because you're just still kind of 
you need often some time and space to figure out, okay, how can I do that? And if you've got your lessons planned for the next month or two months or six months, you're not necessarily going to do all that rework. You might say, oh, I'm going to use these new strategies for the next semester or the next module or the next course that I'm going to teach. And I'm going to take the time between now and then to, to start organizing how, how I'm going to start applying that. And so, so having that time associated with it, like when am I going to start and where are those outcomes likely to start being visible and how am I going to track that? So how am I going to actually see if when I'm trying to apply it, if I'm actually getting the results that I intended, because there's, there's nothing so, um, I guess, important as feedback and whether we're getting feedback from something we're tracking ourselves or maybe we need to ask a colleague to observe us we need maybe have external feedback but we need the feedback loop for us to get feedback on are we actually performing and applying what we thought we wanted to apply from that course of that learning that we've taken are we actually being successful in doing it so those are a couple of easy things, just conversations. Yeah, I mean, having conversations, I think, is so important. And just as you mentioned, even having the expectation of what you're going to do with this learning when you come back, like that matters a lot. And oftentimes we don't have that conversation. Some districts I've seen put that, that what are you going to do? How are you going to share this with the rest of your colleagues when you come back uh, kind of thing? But then talking about the obstacles, What's going to prevent you? Well, the principal has already determined what the faculty meeting is going to be like. And so when am I going to get in there to share this? And am I going to be able to share it in a, in a way that is time sensitive enough? Like you mentioned with course work already done, how am I going to, am I going to go expect everybody to change and expect myself to change in the middle of the year when I've already got a plan? Sometimes that's worthwhile. Other times that's not. So you've got to be thinking about that. And then finally, the thing you said at the end about the, the time frame is when is this going to happen and what's going to make it worthwhile? I think those are really key ideas that it, it's easy to overlook them and kind of assume that they're going to happen. But really taking the time to have those conversations makes it better for everybody involved. Yeah, and I, and I like the more intentional we are about this, the more likely we are going to get some benefits of of that investment in learning. And when we think, you know, say from a workplace learning perspective, uh, research has been done in the past that said, you know, that about 10% of learning got applied in the workplace. And so that, you know, co corporations globally have been looking at how do we Im improve the ROI on the investment in learning? Because they actually do see this as a, a profit and loss kind of thing. And so, you know, if we're, if we can, if we're investing $100,000 in learning activities, whether we're developing leaders or we're doing compliance base or it's technical skills, whatever it is that we're doing to invest in our workforce, we want that, them to be applying that in achieving our strategic priorities. And unfortunately for most companies, that's maximizing profit. So are these learning activities maximizing profit because we're reducing employee turnover or we're getting a better employee engagement and then we're getting higher discretionary effort? Are we able to implement some ideas to reduce our costs so that we're able to, to enjoy more profits because of costs? The same basic premise is true for schools. We still are investing in learning with the idea that this is going to help us achieve our strategic priorities. And just you know, think how wonderful it would be for a school to be attracting top talent because of 
the ability they have to unleash that discretionary effort of their of their teachers and support the 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 changes and the new ways of practicing the craft in the school. Yeah, well, I I like what you said there because we know that it costs money to hire new people and to train them and a lot of times in education that money is not it's not tangible in the way that it is with the business. Because if you if you don't have someone that's there working, you have to send and then you hire someone and you have to put another person, you're paying double the rate for two people to learn together or for one person to teach mm-hmm. another. Um, that becomes a really challenging, very real, tangible issue. And in education, it doesn't always feel that way, but those costs are real. And all the work that goes into recruiting, the human resources efforts, running background checks, all that stuff has a cost. And if you can be more uh-huh. wise with how you treat and use people in your organization so that you don't have to replace them as often because it's a, a place where people want to stay, you know, those are important steps you can take to help that happen. And this is also about having a culture of accountability and responsibility to your peers as well. And it's not just about going out and getting that information for yourself, but bringing it back and making things better for the people that you work with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, you know, just you know, echo your comments. Like, th- there is such a cost to turnover. And, you know, we don't actually get the, this, the productivity in, our, in any workforce if we're constantly bringing in new people. Um, you know, even if you're really experienced in the industry and you go into a, a new situation, there's there's a decline in productivity while you're figuring out the norms and how do we do things here and how does this work? You, you are always less productive than you normally would be. Now, hiring really experienced uh, educators, they're going to be able to ramp up quickly versus, uh, you know, new graduates or new teachers that might still might take them a little bit longer. But we we want to be be intentional and be and be thinking about what all of those costs are. Because you're right, like they say, well, it's just a cost of doing business. But if you can actually retain people and develop people and, and have them become high performers, however you're going to define performance in the school, that's a better uh, return on that investment. So, you know, we talked about preparatory work. So the first thing, really the first phase of getting improved transfer is the prep work. It's the meeting with staff to discuss expectations, assess their intention to transfer and identify, you know, maybe background or preparatory reading. So even the idea then the example that you mentioned about being able to identify your own development needs and what training you wanted to take to achieve your own needs that's really aligned with adult learning, right? So adult learning principles is sort of like adults want to participate in learning activities that are going to solve their problems. So if you see that I've got this problem right now as an educator or administrator, and this is the problem I want to solve, and you're given the the power, the ability, or the choice to select learning activities that are going to solve the problem you've self-assessed for yourself, that has a higher impact higher probability of being successful ROI than one that someone else just said, everybody takes this course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So in closing, we're just about here at time. This was a great conversation, but what other um, quick tips do you have for, we we talked a lot about preparation because I think that's where we needed to be. Maybe we can have you back and talk about the next stages also, but what other things should should we be paying attention to? So um, the, the other thing is, is what are the learning, the learning events themselves? So you might have the ability to sponsor them or not, but we want, we know that good, 
the good learning transfers more if we if it's participatory. So whether we've got we've got people that are role playing that's experiential because not only the intention we is is important but also confidence because I don't know about you Jethro but you go to a course and you learn something for the first time and you you maybe tried it out with your peer group or people that were in the classroom and now you think I got to go back and do this for real in front of students who maybe aren't as as generous and benevolent an audience or my peers that maybe aren't as benevolent. So if people don't have the intention to apply it or they're not confident to apply it, you're not going to get application, even if they think they've mastered the knowledge, if they're not confident. So those two things need to be built into the learning activities, not only the intention of people to apply this, but also designing those activities to boost their confidence And sometimes the facilitators can help that by doing those follow-up calls, like you talk about the mastermind, like doing something beyond the learning that's actually facilitated by the the learning specialist. Uh, And then looking at, you know, what's that facilitator follow-up with the app post-learning, the principles, as we've talked about expectations ahead of time, are going to have the same conversation after the learning event to say, you know, we thought this was going to be the application. What are you thinking of now after it? Have you changed your mind? Do these things still sound like they're practical? Are there different things that you've thought about? What's the plan now for the application? Are there obstacles that we need to help you with? Uh, And so it's another conversation after the learning that's really checking in to see was the first conversation on target. And there's probably some things that have changed through the learning activity. And then looking at figuring out what is the, what's the way we're going to collect our data to actually evaluate or assess, are we getting the intended results from the course you took or the book you read or the video series, whatever it was. Yeah, no, those are those are all good. I think recognizing, I think we could have a deep discussion about data and what data actually matters because it's not just about delivering the content, but it's it's about what impact does it have. And some of that impact is difficult to measure. Other is impossible to measure, but you know that it's happening. And, and that's where we need to to be clear about what that is. And one of the, there are different ways to measure things. So for example, if you're going to a behavior thing, you've got kids who are going crazy in your school and making all kinds of trouble. (laughs) Um, One way to measure that is that it goes, you know, the office discipline referrals go down and that could mean that those behaviors aren't happening, but it could also mean that people just aren't reporting them anymore. And so you have to, you have to pay attention. Does it's something that you can't really measure. Does the school feel like a more cohesive, safe place than what it did before? And and those things are are pretty difficult to put a, a, a point on it, but it's important to not shy away from looking at that kind of data and seeing whether or not it is has really made a change. Yeah, and you might need multiple data points because you're right. Mm-hmm. Is it just people like, is the crime rate gone down because people stop reporting? Has employment gone down because people don't fit the definition anymore? Or has it actually gone down? So, yeah. you, so you can sometimes you have to look at more than one data point to support. And then, and then, you know, we know in stats too, there's a very much of a difference between correlation and cause and effect. That's right. And so being very careful about not deciding something was cause and effect relation when it really was just a correlation. Yeah, very good. Well, in closing, Laura, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Have a conversation with their staff about the expectations around the investment in learning. 
Very good. Well, Laura, this was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. Wonderful conversation. I hope we can have you back on again in the future. Uh, My pleasure, Jethro. Happy to talk. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.